Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavy hops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. I bristle and laugh a little bit when people draw a dividing line between an artist and a critic because I don't think of it that way. I think of critique as an act of storytelling. And, you know, sometimes it's bullshit. Sometimes I'm just laughing about something. But, like, that counts, too. That's a creative act. If I can explain something in words that matter to me, I feel like I've accomplished something. That's what I want to do. That's what it's all about. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. Joining me this week is JJ Kochan, founder of The Obelisk, an online publication focusing on desert rock, stoner, and doom metal. JJ and I found our way into the music industry around 20 years ago through college radio and journalism. JJ became managing editor at the Aquarian Weekly and associate editor at Metal Maniacs Magazine in New York before creating The Obelisk 13 years ago. I wanted to understand how JJ negotiates being a fan of heavy music in addition to someone who covers it daily. Does his profession color his listening experience? Does the pitch an artist, label, or publicist make color his perception of the music? I think about these questions a lot when it comes to event curation and even programming for this podcast. Before jumping in, I'd like to give a shout out to Espen Wilhelms, who edits, mixes, and masters these episodes weekly for inspiring this episode idea. If you're listening and have a guest idea, feel free to reach out and share it. Let's dive and get heavy. JJ Kochan, welcome to Heavy Hops. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Wonderful to be here, Alexi. Thank you so much. Before we kind of jump into the main feature of our conversation, I want to get to know a little bit about your sort of writing background before the obelisk is how people most likely know you now since you've been doing that for 13 years as of January. Where were you before and uh, how did you sort of make your way into the blog sphere? Well, when I was in college, I did college radio and I went to the CMJ Music Conference Thing in New York one year and they were like and the panel was it was like how do you get a job in the music industry and the only answer that, that anyone gave this was an hour long panel the only answer that anyone gave in the panel was uh, intern somewhere it's like go work for free and then someone will hire you so I went and I interned at a weekly newspaper in, uh, in New Jersey where I was born and raised and currently reside called the Aquarian Weekly that was started in 1969, ran for over 50 years until until the pandemic. And I interned there while I was still in school. And then they hired me uh, before I graduated, actually. They hired me as their, as their editor. Um, they were like, you, do this job, work cheap. And I was like, can do, because I was 22, 23 years old. And all of this, all income at that point is disposable income. So at least... At least I was. So I was a silly, drunk, post-teenager working there. And then a couple years later, I worked at Metal Maniacs in New York uh, under the wonderful Liz Shivarella Brenner, who I continue to love and deeply respect. And sort of while I was there, I started a column focused on doom and psych and heavy rock and stoner rock and that kind of stuff. Uh, And that was called Feast of the Obelisk because it was a very stoner rock sounding thing and also a phallic joke to me with myself that I thought was funny. And then in 2008, the economy tanked and Metal Maniacs was the company that owned Metal Maniacs was called Zenbu Media and they published Metal Edge and Relics and, and Metal Maniacs and another magazine. And all of that money was in real estate. Like all the money that the money that funded all those magazines was in real estate. So whoop, that was the end of that. In 2008, when the housing market collapsed and Metal Maniacs just went away, you know, magically. And I had a I had a stack of CDs waiting to be reviewed and no place to put them all of a sudden. Um, so I I was tired of print media. I was tired of working for other people. I was tired of shitty sales stuff. 
I was just, I was sick of dealing with it. So I just wanted to write. So friends set me up with WordPress and, and that was it. And I just started to write in the beginning. I was like, oh, maybe I'll put up, you know, one thing every couple of days, just, you know, just to do it. And then it just kind of kept growing for me and, and sort of requiring more and more of my day. It's pretty incredible how it can start with just a small stack and then all of a sudden the amount that you feel as though you have to recover or the things that you want to cover just grows and grows and grows. And the more you sort of like dive into the pool, the deeper the deep end gets. It's true. You know, it, it, you're absolutely right. The more you the more you see, the more there is that like you you want to see. And the deeper you go, the more there is. You're absolutely right. I reviewed minimum 300 records last year minimum okay that's the that's the bare that's the lowest low ball count uh 300 records and there's so much stuff that i missed you know and like i'll spend the next three years being like how did i miss this in 2021 i'm still doing 2020 and it's like how did i miss this well there was a global pandemic so i give myself a little slack there but like every year there is there's just so much so much it's infinite it's infinite and you think about you know i think about a lot like the the private press 1970s stuff like that beginning moment of of heavy rock and roll because that is kind of like that growing out of psychedelia coming down into harder edge stuff that became heavy metal blah 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 punk rock blah 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 i think about this a lot it's like they're you know they're still finding records right from back then like writing writing easy is putting out like 13 compilations of of sing of lost singles that are you know just that'll that can happen forever they they can do this you know 30 40 50 years from now people can do the same thing they're like oh this shit was on bandcamp until bandcamp evaporated one day as everything on the internet eventually does and then and then everybody's everything got lost except i five cdrs of this were pressed and now i have it and i'm gonna press it on vinyl right like you you can see that that's sort of how things are going to play out. But there, it's infinite. There's so much. It's so exhausting. It is insane. I mean, your end of year list, normally that's like 200 records. Oh, it's so, it's so stupid. It's gotten so stupid. It's it's too much. It's got It's gotten so stupid. When I started the site, I did like a top 10, right? And it was, and it was enough. Nobody complained. I don't know. Everybody always complains anyway. But, but like, it, you know... I did a top 60 this year because I couldn't fit everything I wanted to, to have in a top 50. And then after the top 60, there's like another 100 and some odd records that I'm just talking about because there's just, I like music. I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't know how, how else to say it. It's, it. I'm very fortunate that like, I'm very fortunate to be in a position where anybody other than me gives the, the slightest, the remotest of craps about something I might say about a thing, right? Like, I know my opinion is very important to me, but like, you know, someone else is, is thinking about that. So I try to like, try to touch on as many things that I think are essential as possible, but it, there's there's just too much. There is. It's a different time from when you were writing at Metal Maniacs or when you were at the Aquarian and the world of promos and things that were new to you were things that were sent to you in the mail on a compact disc or that you found on your own volition or through word of mouth. I think we were probably pretty well connected on the internet too. So there was a lot of finding and going, you know, a step beyond. It's very different now because of globalization and the sort of proliferation of recording technology to where people can create content a lot quicker. And the other piece that you mentioned that's really an interesting kink in all of it is the scene of desert, stoner, doom. Part of its identity is rooted in the past in some way. And so there's always going to be a fixation with going back and finding the original. I think like every genre of heavy music has that in some way because identity is important and discovering that is typically in the past and rarely in the present in some way. There's always this need to look in the past. And I think like the stoner desert scene has that to a certain degree as well. I guess like on this train a little bit, do you find sort of yourself looking back and finding stuff that you had thought one way about when listening and have a revised opinion about? Sometimes, uh, sometimes, 
Yeah, it happens a lot with records that are like super hyped. Like I always, I always think about Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats, Bloodlust. When that came out, everybody was all over it, and I was like, ah, oh, it sounds like the Beatles. The Beatles singing about killing ladies, which the Beatles actually did in Run for Your Life. Okay. So it sounds like that, plus riffs, eh, whatever. And then, like, I eventually sat with it, and I was like, no, nah, it turns out these guys can really write a song and really sing a tune, and, and you know, and, they're, and, they, and they did it, and then they did the next album, which I thought was much better, but whatever. That, so, But it happens a lot with records that are, like, way, way hyped, that I'm like, fuck this. Like, they're, you know, I'm sick of hearing about it before I've even heard it. You know, like, that complete turnoff. So, like... I hate to say it, but like a lot of the like Emma Ruth Rundle, Sergeant House stuff, the new woven hand that everybody's all over. Like, you know, I I have a hard time caring if like if it's already, you know, I, I don't know. The the buzz turns me off. That's the that's the bottom line. That's a fair perspective. I'm just kind of curious as to why that is. I don't know. Contrarianism. I don't know. I, I'm just a prick. I think I think I'm, I think I'm just a prick. But, uh, you know, it's. One of those things. I, I feel like some when something is is that much hyped, it almost feels it feels fake to me. It's like you know, it's like it, you see this a lot with with you see this a lot in in sort of the heavy music social media sphere now with Bandcamp. Like every week, there's something else in Bandcamp, and it's like, oh shit, this is amazing. This is good. Oh, check out riffs, dude. And it's like, yeah, all right, you feel that way today. That's awesome. Next week, there's going to be something else, and you're gonna, and you're gonna forget about this thing that was your album of the year, you know, a week and a half ago. Like it, it's you know, slow down, take a breath, take a step back, and maybe you know you could. It's okay to say a record is good. These this it's okay to say a record is good. This is what it does. This is what it does really well. This is this is where it's going. Not everything has to be the most amazing thing ever. Not everything has to be hyperbole hyperbole turns me off and I do it sometimes and I acknowledge that when I do it or at least I try to acknowledge it when I do it because sometimes it's fucking fun but like you know it, it's I I I see it and it's like riffs like fucking mountains dude and this is gonna happen and, uh, and there's giant mo giant monsters and cartoon tits and save it save it please just just give me the music and and and, uh, and we'll see. On the path that you were talking about as far as contrarianism, how I sort of thought of things when I was writing, and I think that it is a similar approach that I took even when I was like buying beer for restaurants and stuff like that, and working with like craft breweries was part of its contrarianism, but it's rooted in this idea that those big people don't need me. They didn't get to where they are because of me. And not that I'm a power broker in any way, shape or form. But if I'm spending half an hour on something that is already like a guaranteed success, whatever that success is, it's relative to a lot of different things. But maybe I can spend that half an hour instead on something that fewer people are hearing about. And whatever my platform may be can actually help people that could benefit from a little more coverage or space on the airwaves or in people's attention instead of something that they already know about. You're absolutely right. Yeah. That is, for me, that is 100% part of it. I agree all the way. And at the same time, I reviewed the new author and Punisher this week. And I, you know, that album doesn't need my press, right? No way. So sometimes you kind of feel compelled to, to cover something anyway, um, in spite of that hype machine that is so much rolling. But you're absolutely right. There, there, like, I often think of things in terms of what I have time for, uh, because, you know, both because of my life situation, I'm a full time dad to a kid who needs full time. And it is it's 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 sometimes it's a matter of I have like three hours. Never. I have like two hours to bang out something, you know, like to do a review, like how what is the best use of my time? And, you know, in, in evaluating what, whether I'm going to write about something, a lot of it is like, do I think I have something to say about this? And can I say it in, in that amount of time? And, you know, it's very much related to, to time and, and how to try and best and most effectively and most enjoyably spend my time. You know, like if I've if I've read a review of a record, I'm probably not going to write about it. Like I, I don't I don't read other sites, other blogs. I don't I try not to anyway. You know, like I, I don't 
engage with it as much as I cannot because I feel like kind of pollutes my own perspective to do that. And I don't have time. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's really about, it's really kind of a crunch for me. And there's so much, there's so much that I want to cover that I want to write about that I don't get to. People ask on the regular, you know, how do I decide what I'm, what I'm writing about? And it's, and the answer is like, I don't, I don't even have to, it's, it's, you know, I can't write. The answer is I write about a fraction of what I want to be writing about. You know, if I could, I would, I would do, if I had the brain power and the hours I would do, I would probably be posting like 10 times a day about just shit. I would be doing more reviews. I would just be writing all the time if I could. If you look at your time as a pie, it's not all as a writer, you're also a content manager. You're also a publisher. There's all these things that go into deciding what goes up on your site and the mechanics of making that happen that also eat away from the time that you can spend actually covering things. On the sort of string of the editorial stuff, you were an associate editor at Metal Maniacs, like we talked about. And obviously that was like a part of what you did at Aquarian when you were there for a long time. So your interest is in stoner, doom, heavy rock. Metal Maniacs was not necessarily what I would classify as the go-to publication for that type of music. No, and actually like when I did that column for Metal Maniacs, people were like pissed. Like the Metal Maniacs readership was like gnarly black metal dudes being mad about someone talking about like color haze and shit. Like it was, people were mad. Because I had no idea what their readership was like. I didn't know who bought that magazine. I didn't know, like, all I knew was that it had a high level of circulation and that it was good to get a review in there as a label. But I had no idea who would read it because no one ever talked about it in no, conversation. It was, very, it was very much like extreme metal, uh, you know, death metal, black metal, a lot of European bands, a lot of like, you know, nuclear blast relapse stuff at the time. The advertisers. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it was awesome. It was such a cool mag. And, and, and like, they did all this, like, super underground black metal shit that if you were into that, like, nobody was touching it. Nobody, you know? And the writers they had, you know, it was a great... I'm very fortunate to have been a part of it for the relatively brief time I was. That job was incredibly difficult to do because where I was living at the time was two hours door-to-door -door from New York. And I had to go to the city every day. So I spent four hours every day commuting, which was miserable and expensive. But the magazine itself was this beautiful, one-of-a-kind thing that the company that owned it didn't appreciate, didn't understand. Um, and it was like tragic uh, how unappreciated and, and misunderstood Metal Maniacs was by the company that owned it. Because, you know, it, it was just, they didn't understand, they didn't get it. There was There was no like, you know... There was no separation in their heads from what Metal Maniacs did and what Metal Edge did. And Metal Edge was like a commercial, you know, put Slipknot and, and Static X and, you know, that stuff. There was no appreciation for sort of the the artistry of the curation that was happening in Metal Maniacs. And it was so sad, so sad to see. But yeah, but my column and when I like did a feature on the sword in 2008, people were pissed. They were so mad. <laughs> was terrible. As an associate editor there and with the interest that you had, were you reviewing stuff that was in the ilk of what the publication was doing? Or how close were you to the content compared to like where your actual sort of interests lay in the stoner desert rock stuff? Well, when I came, when I went to Metal Maniacs, I was used to writing about different kinds of sounds from the, from being at the aquarium. When I went, you know, because the aquarium, there was stuff you had to cover because they were playing Jersey that week. You know, I was actually I found a box of old interviews at some point and it was like it was like I don't remember interviewing Dinosaur Jr. Like I don't I don't remember ever doing that. And it's like, you know, it's just random random bands that apparently I spoke to some point seventeen, eighteen years ago that I don't recall. But, you know, I was young enough and arrogant enough to think I could I could just write about whatever I was hearing. What one of the things I actually learned at Metal Maniacs and from Liz especially, and I, I do I credit Liz with this, is that, you know, is to kind of specialize, is to find your find your niche, find what's really speaking to you and go with that. Because, you know, a lot of the Metal Maniac stuff, like I, I like death metal. Like, you know, I, I, I interviewed Amorphous yesterday. Like, you know, I like that stuff. And and actually I found a 
in that same box with my Dinosaur Jr. interview, I've done an Amorphous interview from 2006. You know, so so for me, it was kind of branching off. That's all. It was just a matter of, of like, and it was a pretty natural, you know, pretty natural progression for me to sort of dig that hole and climb in it. What was it about stoner, doom, desert stuff? It may not even have been called all of that at the time. What sort of intrigued you or caught you about that type of music that made you sort of feel like you wanted to double down or build your trench in it? Yeah, I always kind of liked psychedelic music. You know, I was always kind of interested in the late 60s, early 70s stuff. Not a big Led Zeppelin fan, or but big Beatles fan and and sort of a lot of stuff around that. But I guess, you know, it's what resonated with me at the time and what sort of continues to resonate is that something could be heavy, could have that presence, could have that groove, um, that low end bass weight distortion uh, and not be aggressive and not be out there like Phil fucking Anselmo, chest thumping, being like, check out my cock. Like, I, you know, to, to have something that that's you know, to, that speaks to something a little bit different, even if that different thing is like, I get high and whatever. Like, you know, it's, it's, I'd rather hear about, I don't know, giant space monsters than like, check it out, brother. You know, like that shit just doesn't, it just doesn't work for me. Was there like a particular group or particular experience that you had with music where that resonance became a little more clear or was it more of a process? Hmm. I think it was a process. Uh, clutch were big. I mean, clutches, clutch elephant riders was, was like, Oh, Oh shit. Right. That was like a, well, okay. Why do I love this so much kind of moment? Right. And then you, then you sort of move on from there. When, when I was doing college radio, I came up with a specialty show, you know, the the station, if you know anything about WSOU, which was the station that I went, the station that I went to college at, which is pretty much how it worked. When I was there, there was a, a controversy with the university because it, because WSU was run by a Catholic university and they played heavy metal. And the Catholic university, much like the people who, who owned Metal Maniacs, had no fucking idea what they had. They, they still don't. They still don't know. Scumbags of the earth, these fucking people. So, really, I cannot say enough awful things about Seton Hall University. Fuck Seton Hall University. So anyway, while I was there, they were changing the formats because we weren't going to play heavy heavy metal anymore because Jesus, whatever. So one of the the sounds that got mixed into this new format was the Greens, and the Greens was Stoner Rock. And that was really like, you know, and that was circa 2000. So it was all pretty new, right? Kind of, it had come together in the late 90s, but but kind of taken off at that point. And it didn't last because nobody played it. But I was like, "Mm, this is pretty cool. Um, and there was like 60 watt shaman and clutch and, you know, some of the other, the music cartel stuff, I think electric wizard and, and whatnot. And from that, I was like, I want to do a specialty show of just all this stuff. So I did, I put together, I put together my own show, which they let kind of let you do, uh, if, if you got the right approval and all that. So I went on the, all that is heavy store from stonerock.com and I just like went list, list by list. I took it as like a, a recommendations list and I, Band by band by band by band by band. And that was like, a, that was how I found Orange Goblin. That was how I found Electric Wizard. That was how I found so much so, color haze, so much stuff that I still love. So probably that initial immersion in it was was where Acid King, I see Acid King behind you, just making me think about it. And where I am, of course, in, in New Jersey, it's Monster Magnet, Monster Magnet, the Atomic Pitch Wax. And there was a good, you know, there was a decent scene for it at the time too. With the bitch wax and halfway to gone and Lord Sterling and a few other bands who were just like around um, and certainly you know being in New York nothing was in Brooklyn yet when I was uh, when I started out going to shows but you know you could go to like the Continental uh, in Manhattan or CBGBs or any number of other places and see bands coming through and and it was just all there and you had cmj too there were people that were focused on trying to showcase stuff from all over the place too that was still a priority to a certain extent yeah definitely actually first time i think it was the first time i saw isis was at a cmj showcase and it was like oh shit yeah this you know this is rad also pig destroyer it's the first time i saw them 
Go CMJ. That's awesome. It was pretty good, man. It was pretty good. It's funny you mentioned college radio because I tried my hand at college radio and I didn't really have a great experience, I think, partially because I had a lot of three or four years of running and writing for my own publication before and everything having to do with the FCC and with station programming and all of the nuts and bolts of what it takes to actually do radio that's governed was really frustrating for me. I just kind of threw the towel in because internet radio wasn't quite a thing at that point that was easy to get into. I never ended up with it. But it's interesting to hear that even though the experience with radio was mixed in some sense, that there was some positive to gain out of the programming change. Definitely. Definitely. For me, at least. And, you know, it's sort of is one of those things, right? At the same time I'm doing that, I'm starting to work at the Aquarian Weekly. And so these things are sort of coming together and, and evolving over time. And and then 13 years ago, I started the obelisk and I've been there ever since. <laughs> what sort of continues to intrigue you and sort of compel you to continue to cover the sort of realm of music? You wake up in the morning at eight in the morning, like we were talking about before. We no, went wait a on second. Sometimes <laughs> wait, earlier. Wait a second. I don't, <laughs> that was your first piece went up at eight yeah, <laughs> today. Yeah, no. And that's early. I, that's that's, or late, that's yeah. late. Yeah, no, I don't. I wake up this morning. I got up was a little bit. It was like 545. And that's about right for me. I don't always get to write at that point. But there was I mean, there was a long time where I got up at four to write every day. And sometimes if I'm doing a quarterly review, I still do that. But since the kids started school, I can mostly I could sleep a little bit later. There's a clear compelling force here that gets you up and gets you motivated and makes you want to do it. Where's the intrigue? I'm 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 a crazy person. I am I'm I am compulsive. I, I don't know how my wife lives with me. I would not live with me. Like, I, I am fucking impossible to be around. And if I, like, if I don't have time to write, I'm even worse. Like, all I want to do is write. That's all I want to do. It's all, you know, every time I do something that's not writing, I'm like, fuck, why am I not writing? So, yeah, no, uh, I love music. I love music. I love writing. That's it. Uh, there, there's, like, it took me so long to realize that, like, I could do music and do writing. Like before I got that job at the aquarium, it was like, it, it was a mystery to me, like what I was going to do with my life. And then once I got that job at the aquarium, I was like, I'm going to do this forever. And then magazines w- went away. Right. So I was right. It turns out that I couldn't do that for my whole life, but like, I'm a hundred percent serious when I say I'm compulsive. Like I, I need it. I need it. I need to get up and do it. I need to, I need to be doing thing i need to i need to write i just you know now it's habit is a big part of it because it's how i sort of govern my day you know and and i get excited about i get excited about stuff i get excited about someone's album announcement or or now shit someone announces a tour and i'm like what this is the craziest thing i've ever seen it's like five dates and concurrent weekends world tour i don't know man i think it's fun i get you know it's, it's what I want to do. It's part of who I am. And you get to combine things that you love. You know, one of the things that I find when I look at the obelisk and I sort of read, whether it's the sort of lengthier reviews that you do or sort of the commentary that you do before you put up the press releases, which is pretty unique for publication in any industry to actually preface a press release with something thoughtful is pretty unique. It's also not always thoughtful. Well, I think there's some thought that goes into four paragraphs or five paragraphs, but I mean, it's coming from a place of being a fan in a certain way too and obviously being interested being intrigued by it does sort of like your profession color your listening experience when you're actually like listening to promos or is it just like one thing where you're like i am this thing that's both professional and fan (laughs) i come up against that a lot in like year endless time because when i'm put when i when i put up a year end list and it's like this is the best of 2021 who am I talking as? Is it is it me or is it the site, right? As like a an entity separate from me. Oh, but corporations are people too, my friend. But like, you know, I think about that sometimes. And where do where do I end and where the site start? Uh, I don't know. And the answer is yes, definitely thinking of things on a critical level, evaluating things on a critical level is 100% a part of my listening experience from the first time I hear something to the last time I hear something and every time I hear something. I, I don't listen to Abbey Road without thinking about the production value. You know, I, I, 
I just can't anymore. Even you know, even stuff like I listened to when I was like ten years old, like Alice in Chains. Like I'm, uh, you know, Alice in Chains, Dirt. I'm like, okay, this is, you know, I can, I hear it differently now as an adult, sort of with a critical, a more critical ear. I don't know that it's a bad thing. I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's a good thing. But it's, it, um, it's how I do it. It's how, you know, I can't do it another way. I don't think I could just put on, especially something new. Like I don't, I don't think I could put something on and not be like, oh yeah, sure, this is where it's coming from. Trying to, trying to figure it out on that level. Where do I want to? That's interesting. That's something I struggle a lot with with new music is because I have this existent framework now that I see through this like lens that I sort of see through when I'm listening to new music. But it's weird when I listen to stuff from the before times, I guess, if we could call it, or when I would approach it as a fan, like you were talking about listening to Alice in Chains, or if I think about experiences with bands like In Flames or At The Gates and stuff that I found first as a fan, my thoughts on them changed even in my fandom and as my sort of preferences changed. And then those views changed again when I actually started working within the music industry and doing things professionally. And that curtain was pulled open in a certain way. I think the professional side of how I listen to things from the past is really like complicated. And I don't know if in some cases, like I find that I really enjoy that music, especially like if I'm thinking about jazz from the 60s and stuff, and you think about the context and what those people were fighting up against socially, politically, and then within the context of the music business too. It's insane. It's nuts. I didn't understand that when I was first listening to jazz. It took growing up and it took also the other layer of pulling the curtain behind. It's hard to keep those things separate in some way, just because music is this thing that just continues to be with us as we change. Yes, absolutely. I think that's fair. And I think part of the, I mean, I I think it's a good thing that something stays with you like that and can be open to different interpretations at different points in your life. Uh, and and you, your experience of that single thing can be multiple things. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, it, you could say the same of any art, but but man, it's, it, I feel fortunate to have music in my life as like, a cent, as like a central driving force. I feel like there is value to aesthetic. And, and, you know, I think if you look at genre particularly, the aesthetics of genre, um, I think that has tremendous value. Um, And I think if it didn't, you would not have a worldwide community like you do for heavy music, um, which is is unreal at this point. Um, You know, if you told me in 2002, 2003, that 20 years later, I would be in touch with people in across, what, five continents, six continents through this music, I, I I don't know. Maybe I'd believe you, but I'd be like, "Wow, that's insane! How does that work?" And and it's true, you know. Like it's 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 this amazing community. Very very lucky to be alive while it's happening. <laughs> You're listening to Heavy Hops. We'll have more from JJ Kochan in a moment. There are a few things happening in the world of Heavy Hops and Scorch Tundra that I want to share. You can find tickets to Scorch Tundra present shows and festivals at scorchedtundra.com slash tickets. We've also created a crowdfunding source for all things Heavy Hops and Scorched Tundra. If you love what we do and want to support us, find the donate link in the episode notes and give what you'd like. Giving any amount will grant you access to our Discord community and an opportunity to contribute to making this show and Scorched Tundra content the best it can be. Please also consider sharing this episode, rating us, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps others find us. Thanks for this moment, and back to our conversation with JJ Kochan. Talking about the global perspective and sort of the things that happen outside of where we live and where we think of as home, you've traveled a number of times to Roadburn. You edit the Weirdo Canyon Dispatch, which when I go to Roadburn, I always try to read it because I enjoy it and I enjoy like having a physical thing to read about from the last day. When you go somewhere and you're covering or like editing a publication in that manner and in a different place, what is an experience like that for you? Because you're out of your zone and you're also experiencing new music. You're seeing people that you haven't seen in a long time. What's that sort of experience like? Well, I mean, Roadburn's kind of a different case. I don't think I'm going to get to go this year, which I am very sad about. 
I'm very like I don't think sad actually begins to cover it as a word of how I feel about missing Roadburn this year. But let's say sad. It's uh you know, I'm very fortunate, very lucky that Walter it was Walter and Jurgen at the time, um, was kind of before Becky was brought on board, had this idea and kind of uh, you know, it, it had a place for me in, in what they were doing and Lee uh, of course, who runs the Sleeping Shame and Lee Edwards, I have to mention, is is sort of the the other component in putting that together. Um, the Weirdo Canyon Dispatch, you know, we did, we even did one for the Roadburn Redux this year when it was online. You know, it's, it's so it's so wonderful to be a part of that, and and especially as I sort of moved past professional editorial working for a print magazine, like that became for me every year was my my opportunity to engage with that process. Because on a obviously on a smaller scale, it was managing a writing staff, determining what editorial was gonna was gonna be covered, figuring out word counts and layouts and all that all that like editor stuff that's aside from that all that editor coordinating that's aside from like reading someone's copy for mistakes. Like you know, uh, it was my the Weirdo Canyon Dispatch was my opportunity to do that, um, and I love that. Like I love thinking about how something is gonna come together. Uh, I love that that feeling of stress, like that, what if it doesn't? Like, you know, all of that. Um, it was my opportunity to engage with that. And we did eight years, I think, counting counting this one, and, or counting the Redux for 2021. And I, I don't think it's going to happen this year <laughs> uh, in 2022, which, I, yeah, which is very, very sad. But, you know, there it does, yes color my experience of the festival. I am often thinking about what is coming the next day or what the photos are going to be or this or that, just sort of the little practicalities. More than that, I'm, I'm trying to cover as much as I can for my site. Um, often, very often at Roadburn or even at regular shows when I went to regular shows um, or festivals, I'm thinking review, I'm thinking photos, I'm thinking when am I going to write this? How am I going to write this? What am I going to say? Do I need to take notes? I hate taking notes to shows because I look like a prick, but I do it, especially at a festival when there's 15 fucking bands playing and how am I going to even remember what I saw? So, you know, yeah. Roberta, I'm usually busy. Like, I'm I'm either in back in the main room, tucked up way up in the at the 013, sitting going through photos and taking notes, or actually now I'll just write on my phone to get it out while I can, but but... It's a lot of running around. Like, you know, people say hi and people are very gracious, but I'm usually on my way somewhere else. Um, and, and I try to be like, oh, hi, yes, walk with me. You know, like, come on, you know, we're going this way. And but but yeah, it does. Um, I'm thinking I'm thinking hard about reviewing when I'm there. Uh, and, you know, what I do is very like I have to remind myself that like what I do is very low stakes for sort of the rest of the universe. You know what I mean? Like it's very high stakes for me because I'm the one doing it, but it's but like on the scale of on the scale of let's say road burn, the Weirdo Canyon dispatch is not huge. My review on the obelisk of that day, even smaller. It is it is so it is this teeny tiny piece of a thing that doesn't really matter. But it's very important to me. So I'm running back and forth, yes. <laughs> Even going to an event sometimes and knowing what's there and having a plan to see all those things is pretty stressful. My approach to Roadburn last time I was there was I didn't listen to anything ahead of time because I did that the previous year. I did that the years before I litigiously looked everything up, made a game plan largely stuck to it. But the last time I was there, I didn't really look into much. And I kind of decided that I wanted to be surprised and I wanted to discover again. I wanted to make it romantic in a different way to where it was not me knowing and me shaping, but trusting the people that organize it. How did it work? It was great. What I found was it was almost a reverse process where I went back and then listened to stuff. And I was like, what would I have wanted to see that I didn't see or what didn't I see that I would have wanted to see with almost like having a new type of presentist bias to it? And I found that my experience would have been very different if I had looked it up ahead of time, because 
the moment of listening to that stuff was me at home instead of me finding these things in a very social, in a very like venue environment. That's interesting. I love the fact that working in the industry like you, you know, we have a lot of knowledge about how things work and we have access to a lot of information and a lot of music. I sometimes miss the fun of being a little bit blindsided by something. Mm, that's fair. I think that's fair. Do you ever miss that? Because it's hard when you have all the all the insight. I, I by no means do I. Uh, will I ever claim to have, quote, all the insight? And no, I, I feel like I'm still I'm still able to have my ass kicked around the block by something. I think King Buffalo put out the burden of restlessness restlessness last year and uh and it totally caught me off guard. Like and I've you know, and I have been writing about those guys since their demo. I've been writing about them since they were since it was Velvet Elvis. You know, like I I I, I Elephant Tree, right? Like Elephant Tree is self titled. Like I I knew Pete from Elephant Tree for years from his time in Trippy Wicked and 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 Stub, um, and Elephant Tree came out and absolutely blew me away. Or even or even Yob, Yob puts out Clearing the Path to Ascend in 2014. How are you not blown away by that? And I had listened to you know, and I already credited Yob with having like a change my life moment in catharsis. Like Yob's catharsis legitimately, absolutely, 100% reshaped my opinion about what heavy music could be and do. Right. And then and, you know, at that point, you're like, well, shit, anything a band does, anything a band does after that is gravy. And then they come out with Clearing the Path to Ascend in 2014 and Marrow's on it. And it's like the best shit in the world ever. It's, ever, it's the best shit ever. So, you know, and actually we were talking about Espen Williams before, like that Monolord, the band that Monolord has become uh, is, is unreal. Like it's that combination of of songwriting and, and impact and groove. Like, yeah, no, I'm blown away all the time. Uh, I, you know, it's, I do feel like sometimes I get cynical and it happens with bands who, it's hard to say, but like, I think about things playing to style, you know, but at the same time, I, I have to sort of remind myself that maybe it's a band's first record. Maybe, you know, maybe they're trying to do, maybe they're, they're working on something else, you know, like it, it, I, I try and sort of push myself to not be cynical, uh, about things and to be open to being blown away because that's how it happens. You know, if, if you if you close yourself off to it, you're never going to get there. So I, you know, I want to be I want to be taken aback by something like that new author and Punisher record, which is, is amazing. You know, like um, I put it on the first time and I, and and I was like, holy shit, I'm going to do the worst run on sentences ever to this record, and I did. Um, you know, so I. I I guess I'm, I'm happy. I'm still blown away by stuff, but I don't feel like, I don't necessarily feel like knowing how the industry works uh, cheapens that or, or, or works against that um, necessarily because not everything I, I am blown away by is industry promoted or, or has that hype machine behind it that, that like some of the relapse stuff does or like the label or like nuclear blast, like labels with a budget, right? And decent PR, you know, like that stuff. Like, no, that's that's not necessarily everything. I'm, I'm everything that speaks to me. So, so no, I, you know, but definitely sometimes, man. Uh, you know, hey, you have those days, right, where something comes in, something comes in, and you're just not in the headspace, right? Like, I, you know, I'm very, very, very lucky, and I'm very, very, very thankful that people want to send me music. Do you have any idea how stupid it is? that I open up my email and there's like a, a note from the, the obelisk contact form. That's like, Hey man, we just put out a thing. Please check it out. Like to be the guy they're asking to, to please check out their thing. Like I just made a fucking piece of art like that here, like I'm presenting you my thing to be the, to be the person that someone is presenting their thing to is, is this, is this position of, of like, unreal, I don't know, responsibility? Well, you want to listen to them and there is a responsibility in terms of they 
want to share something that's personal with you. They want to share something that's artistic and that they've put a lot of time into. And I think that part of like what I was getting at earlier is that these people put a lot of time and effort into creating something regardless of the budget, regardless of the genre. I think people are putting a lot of time and effort into creating some type of artistic statement. And so there's a level of responsibility that comes with hearing it and with interpreting whether it's something you want want to cover or not. I think for me, what it was, was that I just kind of, in a way, wanted just to have all of that put in front of me and to kind of blindly explore because going to a huge event, it became way too much to actually look at everything. You were saying Roadbird's a pretty special place, and I wanted to trust the people organizing it to where it was like, no, just take my hand and I'll be cool. Like, I just want to have a fun time with it and not think too much because I'm also on vacation. <laughs> that's a, I mean, that's a beautiful sentiment. It's a beautiful sentiment. I, I wonder if I could do it. I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird thing. It's something you have to commit to. And I don't know if it's really for everyone or really the best thing. But I found that I ended up enjoying stuff that was completely different than what I would have otherwise. To dive into kind of what you were saying about people reaching out to you and then editorial decisions and tying everything together here. Obviously, there's like a lot of requests that you get for people wanting coverage. And you do a number on a variety of bands of different statures and different parts of the world. I think you are fair in that way. What are you looking for when a band? comes to you? Is it something like you want to feel moved by the music? Do you want it to match what they were saying it was? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I, yeah, I guess. All right. I mean, you want, you want the band to know what they're doing generally, which, which is sort of, I, I guess, although, hmm, although uh, if someone sends you something and, and they're like ultra cognizant, right. Of like, they're in like, let's say, this is it's my train of thought. This is actually how it works. It's like, let's say a band sends an email and it's like, well, we sound like this, this, and this, and this, right? And then you know, and then you listen and you hear it and they sound exactly like that, 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 and that. There's something about that that's not that satisfying. And I wonder, I wonder, thinking about it, if that's like, they're telling, they're telling you what you think. You know what I mean? Like the, the power of suggestion. Mostly, this is going to sound terrible. Mostly, my like my most likely to be ignored email starts out, hey dudes, okay? Because that says to me, you have no idea what I do or what the site is or, or who I do or, or, or what I'm looking for. Um, because I'm one person. I'm one person. And, and I will not, I, you know, sometimes I answer that email anyway because shit, the music's good. But like, you know, there, I am never more likely to ignore your email than if it starts out, hey dudes, because I've got people coming at me from other places who are like, dude, I've been reading this site for years. Thank you so much. And you know, like that's not responding to ego flattery, at least in my head, uh, so much as it is someone who has engaged with the site before knows what I knows what I'm looking for. And, and maybe thinks they have something along those lines to, to contribute to it, which is awesome, right? Like, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing. I want to do justice to that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it isn't, it really isn't like, it isn't a question of someone making the perfect pitch. It's really just, it's really just be polite. <laughs> know who, you, you know, it's basic day one shit. Be polite, know who you're you're emailing, and know why. I love metal love. I enjoy death metal as much as the next guy. But I'm not writing about death metal bands unless there's a real angle for the obelisk. Like or it's or you know, or I'm doing a a, a Nile record for a Friday full length or something, which I might do. You know, it's just not what I do. Like know who you're contacting, know why. That's all. It, it's uh, it, it's I feel like it's similar when I get solicitations from artists to play a music event that I'm putting on is like I get that the curations all over the place over the years, but it's also have a little bit of an idea as to where this event is and what you may be putting yourself into to a certain extent, too. I also understand that sometimes musicians I think we've both probably experienced this just 
by talking to people over the years, sometimes musicians have a really hard time articulating what it is that they do. And so for them to write that to someone who spends a lot of time articulating what people do and puts it out there in a way where it's laid for people to think about, there's like a vulnerability in a certain way by one sharing and then two sharing in the way that you may not be naturally inclined to do. And so I feel as though I've actually gone back and looked at submissions and I've thought, wow, I actually passed on something that I later really liked just because the pitch was wacky or just they didn't know what they were doing by the standards that I had for pitches at that time. So it's always this weird like adjustment of like, am I wrong for being critical of pitches? It's challenging, <laughs> I think. That's interesting. I, I try not to have like rules about that stuff. Um, and really, like the only immediate turnoff I have on an email is, hey, dudes, that's it. Like beyond that, <laughs> I don't need, I don't care if it's hey, dude, like I don't care. I, you know, hey, dude, that's that's fine. I've been hey, dude, for 40 fucking years. Great. It's just hey, dudes. That's, that's all I don't want. Um, and I get that people feel awkward expressing themselves in different media. And there's, you know, I, I get voicemails from Facebook Messenger from people who are like, hey, can you do this? You know, and, and sometimes that's cool. And sometimes I'm like, what the hell are we doing? But people, people find their own ways to think about how they're doing, think about what they're doing. And, and I think that changes over time, too, though, for, for bands, right? Like a, a band hitting you up. I had a band hit me up a couple weeks ago for a video premiere. Okay? Pretty standard fare. Band's decent. Not, not earth-shattering, not life-changing, but good. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, I got, I, I got time for this. I can do this. So, and it was... It was what was interesting about it was the guy who emailed me took a very familiar tone, like markedly. So said some said something about, you know, hope your family's well or or whatever, which I get a lot. I talk about my family a lot. It's important to me to talk about my family a lot. It's important to me to be visibly a dude having a life also loving rock and roll. It's very important to me. It's important to me to be visibly a father uh, to my son. Anyway, so this email started talking about something you know something i had mentioned on the site some like some family thing was like oh i hope your kid's better or whatever it was and i was like huh okay and then later on you know in an email back it was like was said something about the anniversary of the site and it's happy 13th and i was like oh thanks man you know and that says to me that says to me that the guy reads but it also says to me that the guy wants me to know he reads you know what i mean so like that kind of that kind of actually hit me a little weird it's like i'm not you know not that I don't care if he reads or not. I'm very appreciative if he does. And, and if he doesn't, well, fucking a lot of people don't. Whatever, right? You know, that pitch stood out to me because, because of that tone. So it kind of works. So it kind of can work both ways. You know, and I ended up writing about the thing and I ended up liking the record. So whatever. But I get pitches from people who are like, hey, man, I have been reading your shit for 10 years. I remember when you were a mental maniac, blah, 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 blah. And I get, and I get shit from people who are like, hey dudes, right? It's really, it's it's it is a full a full spectrum of pitches. You know, you try and dig through, and man, you you know, you said it right. You you find stuff that years later you you passed on, and you go back and you're like, oh my god, what was I thinking? Not covering this. You can't get them all. You can't. You just can't. I try. I do as much as I can do, uh, and that's all you can do. You know, I I I if I had more time. If I had more brain power, if, if, if. <laughs> well, maybe someday you'll clone yourself and then you'll finally be, hey, dudes. Um, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Getting on to the sort of last bit here. Appropriately, I figure we could talk about lists for a second. Year-end lists, we talked about it a little bit earlier in terms of how it's a challenging thing to put together. I struggle with it a lot because I find that the list, regardless of how large or small it is, actually changes a lot. And so I have a hard time committing something. And you also do something interesting where you have a reader's poll, if I recall correctly, and you publish that together with your own list, which is a cool nod to the readers. How do you sort of approach lists and you know why is it important to have the reader's feedback be featured as well? That, uh, I mean, that reader, that, that year-end poll is indispensable for me i use it um and i use it years later to see stuff 
to see what people are listening to, to see what people are feeling versus what I'm feeling. Like that's, that's, that feedback is crucial for me. I'm, I'm like a little ashamed and sad to say I take personally how many people do or do not add a list to the year end poll, but that is sort of emblematic of my relationship with the site overall. It is very personal to me. But for my own list, like I use that year end poll for stuff I, I've like forgotten for my own list. I, you know, I'm checking, I'm checking that every day when once it's open, I'm checking that poll every day to see what's coming in, um, to see what people are, are digging, to see where things are at, um, to see who has misspelled what and, and on and on and on. For my own list, I keep a running tally uh, year round. I have to. There's there's just too much for me to not. And, you know, the there is the the perspective that like lists are bullshit and music isn't a contest and this and this. Yeah, it's true. Music isn't a contest. It's not about it's not about who put out the best record that year. But it's kind of fun. And people tell me that they use that list to find, you know, to find stuff that maybe they they missed. So I take that as sort of a responsibility to work from. It's like, you know, that's why I, that's why I put effort into it is is because not only am I years later going to look back at my list and be like, well, I was full of shit that year or no, it was pretty good. That's how I remember that, you know, but like people, people say to me, it's like, thank you for that. What, you know, how, how dude, you know, you put, you put on a fucking festival. Someone comes up to you and is like, thank you for the work you're doing. What's like, what's better feeling than that? Nothing. Right. Yeah. I was going to say very little to nothing. It feels good to introduce people to something. And I think that's kind of why we do what we do. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. It's like, you know, I, I, I say this all the time, but like without the, the support that I've gotten from people over the years, like there is no way I'd still be doing this shit uh, 13 years later. Like it, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, staggering. You know, it's, it t- and it's a lot of work. Like it's, it takes a lot of time. To, to do it even as like, I don't know, to be as moderately satisfied as I am with what I'm doing on a given day takes a long time, takes a lot of effort, takes my, takes a lot of brain power from a very limited supply in my head. So like, you know, I'm, you know, you, you mentioned before people sort of putting, putting things out there, right. You know, like, uh, some, someone getting in touch, putting their work out there. Like, I feel like that's what I'm doing too. You know, I can, I, I'm, I'm off track from the question always, but I feel like, you know, for me, the obelisk is this ongoing sort of creative project. It's a work in progress. And I consider, I consider it a creative work. I consider it art. Um, you know, I bristle and laugh a little bit when people sort of draw a dividing line between an artist and, and, and a critic, because I don't think of it that way. I think of I think of critique as an act of storytelling and I consider what I do, you know, in, in reviews and stuff. And, you know, sometimes it's bullshit. You know, sometimes sometimes I'm just just laughing about something. But like that counts, too. That's a creative act. Like, you know, if I can if I can explain something in words that matter to me, I feel like I've accomplished something. That's 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 what I want to do. That's what it's all about. That's that's fucking art. <laughs> Like that's, you know, that's the the whole thing. That's, that's everything I've ever wanted is to use words to explain shit that matters to me. (laughs) That's, that's it. You know, so, so if I can do that on a day, on any day, that's a win. That's my win. I like this idea of the critique is an act of storytelling. And I find it interesting that you see this as a creative outlet in some way and a very expressive outlet, just maybe as for someone to be a musician, that's their creative outlet. I feel the same in some respects is that I do not want to hear me pick up an instrument or even be near an instrument. But this is it for me is sort of finding a way to articulate an idea through existing things that are in the world. And if it's music, then so be it. Then it's putting bands together or putting experiences together. And it's hard to discover that because that's not something that you can buy in a store and plug into an amplifier. It's true. You're absolutely right. Yeah. No. And I mean, I've, I've been in a couple bands and stuff um, and, and sort of 
done that a little bit. And I feel like it's sort of given me an appreciation for that perspective. But I don't think I've always been a writer in the sense of somebody who writes. Um, I started writing, I mean, you know, when I was like 12, writing stories. And, and I think I reviewed my first record when I was like 15. So, I mean, you know, like, it's stupid. It's, it's just a part of who I am. It's, it's a big part at <laughs> that, as it turns out. So it's pretty much that and various neurosis is, is like my makeup psychologically. Awesome. I think this is sort of a good point to close. I'm going to have in the episode notes where people can find you and the obelisk. Everyone should check that stuff out in the episode notes. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners before we close? Parting thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you're listening to this and you're still listening to this, my God, thank you. Jesus. Wow. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alexi. And thank you, JJ. No, thank you for thinking enough of any of my shit to want to talk to me about it. I'm sorry to ramble, but I do appreciate the opportunity. I don't always get the chance to speak. So thank you.